Let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again, Lord, to thank you, worship you, praise you, both you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory and dominion, just as our Lord Jesus Christ, who is also clothed in majesty and glory. We pray and thank you, Lord, for this day that you have gathered us here to hear your gospel of grace, the security of the gospel, the hope of the gospel. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear the gospel as has been spoken by your Son, Jesus Christ, as has been given to us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would give illumination to our hearts and the hearts of all those who shall give ear to this message. We pray and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are still in the chapter that we we will be getting out of next time, not next week. Because next week I'm not going to be here. So it's going to be the next time that we get back together. We are going to be in John 10 and finishing John 10 finally. Finally getting close to finishing John chapter 10. But this morning we are going to be teaching from verses 22 to 30. Verses 22 to 30 of John chapter 10. And this is what Apostle John recorded for us and said, At that time... The feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no One is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. For our sermon title, You are not of my ship. You are not of my ship. And as an alternative title, The Security of the Believer. The Security of the Believer. You are not of my ship is not a message that is preached or believed on in many churches. If you were to go and sample messages, so-called gospel messages, you will not find the kind of message that is in agreement with the theology of Jesus as he is going to tell us today. You are not of my ship is not a warm and fuzzy message. This is not a warm and fuzzy message. It is a message that causes people 
to lay down their fig leaves, to lay down their own works, to lay down of their own goodness, and to start to think seriously about salvation in a very real way. But many are caught up in the motion and emotions of religious activity, the smell of perfume and burning incense. You know, people love that to just go in a big church, big crowd. Everybody is just smelling nice and people are hugging each other and incense is being burned and people love that. And so they use their senses to try and determine truth. They don't use the word of God to determine truth. So they get caught up with the sweet talk that comes from the lips of those who do not teach the truth about the God of the Bible. These who dispense red poison and call it the gospel. Red poison is about 99% real food. But it is the 1% that is poison. And it is that 1% that kills. And this is why Apostle Paul went berserk. He went crazy with the Judaizers. These who were coming and trying to add to Christ, trying to add to the gospel, they were adding 1% of red poison to the gospel. Just a little bit. Just a little leaven. But we know that a little leaven leavens the whole lamb. And by the way, this one characteristic of red poison. Red poison smells very good. It smells very good. And it is very powerful. Why? So that it may attract the senses, that it may overpower the senses and not the mind. It attracts the senses and overpowers the mind. Red poison smells good that it may attract the senses and overpowers the mind. And once the senses are overwhelmed with smell. The mind is suspended. The rat does not see any danger anymore. It's all about the senses. It's thinking, well, I have to get that. I have to eat that because it smells good. So it doesn't look to think about the trap. It doesn't even stop to think about, oh, wow, this looks like a trap to me. It doesn't do that. Why? Because it has been so overwhelmed by the sense of smell that it has suspended thinking. So it puts its mind in cruise control. And teachers of a false gospel also appeal to your sense of smell, to your sense of touch, because these senses are stronger to the flesh. Why? Because the flesh loves to smell. The flesh loves to touch. But they never speak to your mind. They never speak to your understanding because they know you process and you evaluate and you think about what they're saying. And that is why people have to be careful in jumping 
to practical things about salvation before they have been established in the truth of salvation. It is doctrine that informs practice, not the other way around. But what you see in the church is that people want to do before they understand the doctrine. And there's a reason why many professions require years of training before one can start practicing. Why does it take that many years to be a doctor before you can even do open heart surgery? They're not just going to pick up a man from the street and do surgery. They don't do that. Why? Because they don't have the knowledge. They don't have the doctrine, the teaching of medicine. And Christianity is not different. One needs to be taught in the doctrine of the church before they can practice. Otherwise, they're going to start doing open heart surgery on people and not even know what they're talking about or what they're doing. A false gospel is like a pacifier. You keep sucking on it, but your belly will never get full on a pacifier. It remains empty. And my friends, works righteousness, works salvation is the greatest pacifier of religion. It keeps you working without ever getting assurance of salvation. It does not give repentance from dead works and it does not give you a clean conscience. It never gives you the assurance that you have done enough or you have been accepted by God. What sane baby gets full on a pacifier? <laughs> you can give the baby a pacifier all day, but as soon as you take it out, guess what? They're going to cry. Why? Because they're still hungry. The pacifier cannot give nutrition. The pacifier cannot fill the belly. And many people think they are in, they think they are saved because of the time that they have spent around the church. They think they are saved by what they have been doing whilst they've been in the church. They think they are what they are because they have just been so good people and they have kept themselves from the sins of other people. But when someone like Jesus comes and drops some truth bombs, they realize they do not like this Jesus at all. There are many people who profess to love Christ, to believe the gospel, who don't believe the gospel. As soon as they hear the truth of the gospel, they say, I don't believe that. That's your own interpretation. <laughs> but you'd think that those who profess to know Christ would be the ones saying the same things as Jesus. When the Lord came, he was speaking the words of his father. Because he and the father are one, they were in union with each other, they spoke the same words about who God is and about salvation and about how salvation works. They gave the same testimony. So, if anyone is claiming to be in Christ, 
they also have to bring the same testimony of who God is and how salvation works as God has spoken. They have to agree with what Jesus says about himself as the son of God, as the Christ, and how he alone serves sinners by his own obedience. The Lord Jesus Christ said, there are two roads that say salvation. The wide and the narrow. And there's no neutral one. And both the wide and the narrow say the one thing. They say salvation. Both say life. Both say heaven. But according to Jesus, the wide one leads to destruction. And there are many, there are many who travel on this wide one. And this wide one has moles and it has a lot of people who smell good. I never stop talking about the smelling good, but I know it. I've been to some very big churches and just being in that crowd just makes someone feel good. And they're thinking, this has to be right. Otherwise, there would not be that many people. So they are there and a lot of people and it smells good and it has all kinds of entertaining things. It has bull ridings in the pulpit. And it has many self-help programs. It has woman thou art loosed. It has too many practical things. It has smoke machines and even Starbucks coffee in the foyers and movie theaters in the church. And that means false gospel. And that means false gospel. But the narrow one, the narrow one is the straight one, is the straight metal jacket. It is this one that leads to life. And Jesus says, very few find it. Very few find it. The narrow one requires a weight loss program, but not the Jenny Craig type. The Jenny Craig program says, members, I found this on their website, members on Jenny Craig lose three times more weight than if they were dieting on their own than if they were dieting on their own. But salvation requires more than losing three times your weight and is more than diet and exercise. And one cannot diet or yoga themselves into salvation. The fitness of heaven is beyond any weight loss program that a sinner can do. It requires that you lose all your weight of self-righteousness. It requires that you take off all your clothes of self-righteousness. Otherwise, you can't get in. Remember, the way is narrow. And so to enter this very narrow space, you have to enter in naked. And that means with nothing, you bring nothing to Christ. And the Lord also said, there are good trees that bring forth good fruit and bad trees that produce bad fruit. He talked about wheat and tares. He talked about 
two kinds of people, the wise and the foolish virgins, the foolish man who builds on sinking sand and the wise man who built on the rock. That's two foundations, two kinds of people. He talked about the gods and the ship. And that is distinction. But this is something that is interesting about the gods and the ship. They graze together and even share the pastures together. But they remain different animals. The tares and the wheat, they grow together on the same field together. They even look alike. They are indistinguishable from each other. It is only at fruit bearing that one can tell the difference. Tares produce no fruit of the gospel. So it is just plain teaching, plain teaching of the scriptures that not all will be saved. That's the point that I'm trying to draw. It is clear in the scriptures that not all will be saved. And this is a message that you think the church should be proclaiming, but it is they who are at the forefront of trying to neutralize this message. What is happening in the church world is that we have put ourselves in the place of Jesus because we don't think that God's plan of salvation is fair enough or good enough or complete enough. So we want everyone to be saved. We have friends, we have relatives who do not believe the truth of God as Jesus gave it. We have a lot of preachers, the majority of them, who do not believe the gospel as God has given it. And they do not believe the gospel not because they don't understand what is being said. They do understand what God is saying. Just as the Jews understood what Jesus was saying, or what Apostle Paul was saying. The Jews understood that Jesus was claiming to be God. They understood that. They just did not believe it. The reason why these people are not believing and teaching the true gospel is not because the gospel is too hard to understand. The reason they reject the gospel is because, among many other reasons, they have a very high opinion of themselves. They have a false opinion of themselves and a false opinion of who God truly is and what God does and could do and should do. They don't think God is able to do some things unless he receives help from his creatures. They think God thinks like them and so they evaluate what God thinks by their own emotions and their scales or ways of measurement. They put God in a basket like they are buying fruits on sale. To refuse to bow to what God is saying about himself, about salvation, is not confusing as many people want to say, to clean up things. The Bible never says, or oh, the reason why people don't believe the gospel is because 
they are confused. And if you say men are just confused, then you are saying the only problem that man has is for them to get out of that confusion, that cloud of confusion. And once one can do that, you're done. Just give them a very clearly written book and they walk out of the confusion. You see the problem with that? It doesn't talk about sin. It doesn't talk about the need of a new birth. Because confusion, if it is there, cannot be removed without the new birth. The Bible calls it rebellion and lack of fear. What does the scriptures say? There's no fear of God in their eyes. And people who are seemingly very nice and religious, but still not born again, can be very rebellious towards the scriptures and the teaching of scripture. And those kind of people can be very confusing to us Christians because we think, well, sinners are those who rob banks. Sinners are those who cheat on their wives or cheat on their taxes or do all these things that we read about on the internet or see in the news. So with that definition of sinners, we give these nice people a pass. But the problem is we are not judging by the righteousness of the gospel. We have to judge people by the righteousness of the gospel. Do they believe the gospel as God has given it? Do they believe the gospel or not is how we are to judge and that is a righteous judgment. If one does not believe in Christ and his way of salvation, they are not his sheep. If one does not believe in Jesus Christ for who he is as the God-man and his way of salvation, they are not his sheep. But we cannot tell just yet because there may still be the unregenerate sheep. So we are going to be careful in pronouncing someone as saved or unsaved, but this is what we know for sure. God is not going to save his people by a false gospel. God is not going to save his people by a false gospel. But if God saves people by a false gospel, guess what? Even the Muslims are saved. Even the Jehovah's Witnesses, even the Mormons, even whoever else is saved because you're saying the gospel is not important in salvation anymore. Why preach the gospel if you don't need it for salvation? But rebellion against the truth of God is only put down one way, and that is when one is born again. When one is born again, they do not spend time arguing against God. Rather, they spend time agreeing with him and saying, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, and Amen. So that was our introduction. And now we go to the text. The Jews were gathered together in the temple during the Feast of Dedication. And this, according to my reading, the Feast of Dedication is what you may hear in our time as the Feast of Hanukkah or the Feast of Lights. And according to my reading, this feast was for the commemoration of the reconsecration of the temple 
by Judas Maccabeus in 165 BC after its desecration in 168 BC by Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And the Feast of Dedication went on for eight days. It was an eight-day feast that happened in December, and so it was winter, according to John. The feast reminded the Jewish people of their last great deliverance from their enemies. So it was one of those great feasts that they commemorated. So it is at this time that Jesus is again in Jerusalem. And so the Jews were pressing on Jesus. They were not just gathered around together around him. They were pressing against him. This was a mob of people who were around Jesus. And this is a hostile crowd, if you still remember. They are getting tired of Jesus' claims about himself. But in spite of the many things Jesus told them about himself, they still did not believe him. They disbelieved because they wanted to define Jesus on their own terms. They wanted to define Jesus so as to fit their own mold of the Messiah. They wanted Jesus to be in the mold of Moses or even King David. A Christ who could come and load a gun and shoot bullets against their enemies and restore some national pride to Israel. They wanted a Jesus who would do their bidding, who answered to their own cause of nationalism, a domesticated and a docile Jesus, easy to manipulate Jesus. And so they're getting frustrated with their interaction with Jesus so far. And so they questioned him because, see, he is not fully meeting their criteria of a Messiah. So they asked him, verse 24 of John 10, the Jews then, the Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So they are asking Jesus, how long are you going to keep our souls hanging with expectation? Tell us plainly, be clear, are you the Christ? But the Lord Jesus was not meek and mild as many want him to be. This was not meek and mild, sweet Jesus. Verse 25, Jesus answered them and said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. The Lord said, I have already answered that. I have answered that question a million times, but you do not believe. And your problem is you have no ability to believe. Because if you did, you would have believed. I have given you all the evidence of who I am, but you do not believe. You cannot believe. But this is what Jesus has said earlier about himself. Let's go to John 5. John 5, verses 31 to 38. John 5, 31 to 38. Jesus has said this to the Jews. If 
I alone testify about myself. My testimony is not true. There's another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and that's John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. That's Jesus referring to John the Baptist again. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. So the Jews in chapter 5 of John did not believe in the Father's witness of the Son or the Son's witness of himself or John the Baptist's witness of Christ or the witness of the scriptures because in John 5.39 Jesus is going to say you look to the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life but it is they that testify of me. So this is all testimony that God has given about his son and yet they do not believe. And Jesus gave the reason and he says you do not believe God's witness of me because you do not have his word abiding in you. And the understanding of Jesus is that if one has the word of the Father in them, they will believe in the works and the words of the Son. And so Jesus was saying that they did not belong to God and that is why they lack the ability to believe in him. The ability to believe in Christ is given by God himself. The ability to receive the gospel is given by God himself. And that is why in John chapter 3, somewhere, John records for us and says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given them from above. So the ability to receive Christ, to receive the gospel is only a God-given ability. Men naturally are not able to believe the gospel. So Jesus explained that by saying, you do not have the word of God abiding in you because it is that word that causes them to believe. And so back to John 10, Jesus echoes that same teaching and says in verse 26, in verse 26, meek and mild Jesus, but you do not believe because you are not of my ship. And that is clear teaching. That is very plain teaching. But the majority of the church world does not believe that. They say one becomes ship by believing. One becomes ship by making a choice for Jesus. By choosing Jesus. Inviting Jesus. Making Jesus Lord and Savior. But that is the exact opposite of Jesus' understanding. 
Jesus says, one has to be shipped fast before they can believe. And they believe only because they are sheep already and not to become sheep. And one does not make themselves a sheep. It is God who makes them sheep. And yet the majority of the teaching in the church about why sinners and how sinners come or do not come to Christ is always about the sinner exercising or not exercising their free will to choose Christ. And this teaching is insanely popular as it is insanely false. It is a popular formula because it exalts the sinner as the one who has power of choice over God. The sinner is the one who has the power to choose and God has no more power to choose. The sinner now has power to refuse God what God demands. The sinner has power to frustrate what God wants. According to the understanding of these who say it is the sinner who decides whether to be sheep or not by their will, the sinner is no more one who has a withered hand and they can stretch it all by themselves without the help of God. If you remember our previous teaching, the withered hand was a picture of the spiritual condition of all men because of sin. They could not stretch it out by themselves. And that is why Jesus has to show up and command them to stretch out their hand. The sinner is he who has no power to go into the pool by themselves. But the teaching now is the sinner, by the way, have power by themselves to go into the pool. The sinner is one who cannot open their own blind eyes. But according to the teaching of our day, the sinner is he who now can open their own blind eyes without Jesus commanding it. And that is why the power of choice is being left to the sinner and not to God. And if that thinking of the gospel was correct, if that thinking of the gospel that says the sinner are they who make or break salvation, this was a perfect opportunity for Jesus to come and say, well, you do not believe because you failed to exercise your free will. You refused to decide for me. But the Lord did not validate that teaching. He did not validate that claim. He went beyond all that silliness straight to the first cause and real cause of salvation. He went into the sovereign will of God and said, let me sort out some Things for you, things pertaining to salvation, it all lies not in your will, but in election. And says, election is what determines whether one will believe the truth or not. The Lord said, those that do not believe 
the truth about him. Do so because they have no power to believe. Not because they have power. Those who do not believe in Jesus do so not because they have the power to reject Christ, but because they lack the power or the ability or desire to believe in him. The sinner by nature lacks power to believe in Jesus unless it has been given to them from above, as we learned earlier, and given in the new birth, given in regeneration. And so the reason why they do not come to him is because they can't. They can't unless the Father draws them. No man can come to Christ unless the Father draws Unless the arm of the Lord has been revealed. The arm of the Lord Jesus Christ has to be revealed to that sinner. So then, election is what sets the first steps and the foundation for one to be brought to Christ and to be given the ability to believe in him in time. So in time, you and I show up and we have no natural ability to believe the gospel, but God by his spirit, he comes and in regeneration in the new birth, he gives us the ability to believe in Christ, to believe the gospel and say amen to everything that God says. So God's election and sovereign will is what determines who believes, not the will of men. The flesh profits nothing. And so election is very important to understanding and believing rightly on Christ and his work of salvation. If God is teaching a person about salvation, he has to teach them about how they came to Christ. For that is salvation. The gospel is God teaching us how he saved us. He is not asking for our opinion on how to be saved by him. He is only coming and declaring to us how it actually happened. So when we come, the content of faith, the content of faith is given by God. We are not entitled to believe what we want about God and salvation and even ourselves. The content of faith is given wholly by God himself. Because Jesus said, everyone who comes to him has to be taught of God. They have to be taught of God. Listen, John 6.45. Jesus said, everyone who has had and learned from the Father comes to me. Everyone, everyone who hears and learns from the Father will come to Christ. There's no option. They will come to Christ. Whether they like it or not, they are coming. If they have heard from the Father and they've been taught by him, they have no option but to come to the Father. And this is how men come to Christ. 
one cannot be taught of God and still claim that they figured out Jesus by themselves. You cannot be taught of God and still think that somehow you had something to do with your own coming to Jesus. Jesus denied that testimony. He said that's false. It is a false testimony. Someone may have taught them, but it surely was not the God of the Bible. Because when the God of the Bible teaches you, he only points one way. He points you to Christ and says, he and him alone, you are complete in him and he is all and in all. When God teaches you, there's only one testimony to give when it comes salvation. When God teaches a sinner about how salvation works, there's only one testimony to give. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And you don't qualify anything, but, 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 but. There's no but. Salvation is of the Lord. Full stop. Period. We are done. Salvation is of the Lord is the testimony of one who has been taught of God. Jonah was taught of God. And he knows something about salvation. So a person only comes to Christ when God moves. Hear this from Galatians 1. Go to Galatians 1 verse 15 and 16. Galatians 1 verses 15 and 16. Apostle Paul writes and says, But when God, but when, that's time, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. This is what Apostle Paul is teaching us. Apostle Paul is saying, if anyone is to come to Christ as he did, because this is his own testimony of how he came to Christ. And this is the testimony of how anyone comes to Christ. He says, if anyone is to come to Christ, there's no other way for them to come. They have to be set apart, even from their mother's womb. And that means election. That's election. Not only that, God has to call them. And see who does the calling. It is by God that they are called to Christ. And you may have grown up in the church like Apostle Paul did in Judaism and be religious. You know the testimony of Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Being in the church environment is not the same as being called by God. You still need the call to come through from God. There are many in the pews who have not yet received the call from God. And that's why they resist our message. Apostle Paul knew a lot about God in Judaism than the majority of Christians even know of God in our time. But he was not saved until when? Until he was called. There are many who are saying that one is saved just because they attend church or say some things about Jesus 
and yet are denying the gospel. One is saved, according to Apostle Paul, when God calls them. And when they get called, they say, God called me to Christ by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son to me. That's the essence of the call. The essence of the call gives the testimony that you were called by him, by his grace, and that he was pleased to reveal his son to you. He was pleased, not that they were pleased to invite and choose Jesus. Apostle Paul did not say, and I was pleased to accept Jesus. He says, God was pleased, it's God who was pleased to call him and to reveal Christ to him. So when is a sinner saved? It is when God is pleased to reveal Christ to them. That is some serious talk there. A sinner is saved when God is pleased in his own time to reveal Christ to a person. And to say God is pleased is to say he by his sovereign will and good pleasure, by his sovereign grace, his election according to grace, he chose because God's good pleasure does not just begin when I show up. God's good pleasure is his sovereign will from eternity. In his good pleasure, in his good pleasure, he chose and was pleased to call his people to believe the gospel. And everyone who is called of God is taught of God and they say, God called me to Christ by his grace. That is the testimony of the true church of Christ. Not that they chose Jesus. And for our beloved children, our loved ones, our children, our friends, relatives, do not be quick to call people Christians who are not yet called. Do not be quick to dip them in water before they have been called. Do not be quick to sprinkle them with the water before they have been called. If they belong to Christ, they shall be called. If they belong to Jesus, if God gave them to Christ, they shall receive the letter in the mail addressed to them with the postage fully paid for by Jesus himself. He is going to call them and he will make sure that the post office will deliver it even on Sunday or even over the holidays. The message will come. The mail will come. His will is irresistible, friends. He will call all those that he gave to his son. And I know this because he called me. He called me and I came And he called me when all the post offices were shut down for the weekend. But still my mail came to me. Because I belong to him. So if the Holy Spirit is revealing Christ to a sinner. He has to give them the testimony of their sin. The testimony of righteousness and of judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes to these who are the cold, 
They have but one testimony. All wretched men or woman that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That is the testimony of all those that are called, all who have been given to the Son, all those in whom the Son has been revealed. Because when the Son has been revealed, guess what? You're like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. You saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord. And guess what happened to him? <laughs> War is me. War is me is the testimony of all those to whom the Son has been revealed. Because Isaiah saw who? He saw Christ, according to John. And many in the church have not come to that testimony of their wretchedness. And that is why they feel they have strength. That is why they feel they have strength to invite Jesus when the Bible says they were without strength. Where does a sinner have strength to invite Jesus when the Bible says they were enemies of God, they were ungodly, and they were weak? The Holy Spirit has to give them a true testimony of the person of Christ and the work of Christ. God has in these last days, according to the writer of Hebrews, spoken to us through his son. And that is the completion of revelation. Christ is the fullness of the revelation of God. There's nothing else between now and death that we need to know outside what Christ has revealed. And so the Holy Spirit now gives fuller revelation of Christ to the elect. He gives testimony of him being the God-man, the sinless one who died and resurrected. He gives testimony that this God-man accomplished redemption and that this redemption is given by grace to the elect. That repentance and faith are gifts of God to the elect. That all those that the God-man died to redeem will be redeemed and none is lost. And none can be lost. And these that he died to redeem are they that hear the voice of the shepherd. Verse 27 of John 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The sheep are different from those who deny the testimony of Christ. Do you see the distinction? The sheep are different. What is different about the sheep? The sheep have the word of God abiding in them. They are taught of the father. The sheep are born again. And so they hear the voice of the shepherd. Jesus did not say, my sheep will get confused by the many voices and be lost and follow them. Granted, there are many voices saying many things about the gospel. But according to Jesus, the sheep will hear the gospel when it is spoken. They will receive the gospel. They accept God's testimony of the gospel. The Lord said the sheep will hear, they will hear his voice. Not the voice of a stranger. They will not follow the voice of a stranger. Which means they don't follow any other false gospels. 
But what else, Jesus? The Lord said, verse 27 again, He knows them. He knows his ship. He has an intimate knowledge and love for the ship. They belong to him unlike these who are not his ship. His ship were given to him by the Father before the foundation of the world. And that is how he knows them. And because they are his ship, they only have one option. They hear his voice. They follow him. And to hear the voice of Jesus is to believe everything that he has to say about himself, about salvation, about you and I. But listen to what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say they will understand everything. He said they will believe everything that he says. The sheep believe in election according to grace. They believe in predestination. They believe in justification by faith alone. They believe that salvation is all of grace without any human merit or input. They may not understand the intricacies of that theology, but they believe it. You see the difference? They believe it. They don't argue with it. They don't understand everything, but they believe it. That is Jesus' theology. If you still remember in John 9, Jesus with the blind man, do you believe in the Son of Man? That is almost at the end of John 9, after the blind man had been healed by Jesus. Jesus comes to him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man says, who is he that I may believe in him? That's the testimony of the beggar to Jesus. That he may believe on him. We believe that Christ is the son of God. We don't understand everything that is the person of Christ. But we believe everything that God says about the person of Christ. So before God, there's no creature that is married. Angels do not have any merit to them. Because they are still dependent on the power of God to exist. Men have no merit before God. We are dependent on him. We live and move and have our being in him. We are dependent on him for every breath. So even in salvation, we are still dependent on him for everything. But remember, in this chapter of John, Jesus is talking about the gospel. And how he, as the good shepherd of the sheep, gives his life for the sheep. And that is how he was supposed to be properly understood as the Messiah. The Messiah who delivers his sheep not from Rome, but from sin, death, and condemnation by his own death. That's the Messiah. That's the Christ. But not only does the Messiah know his ship? There are benefits that come to the ship by reason of being ship that are in the Messiah. By reason of their election in him, 
by reason of them being given to him. Listen to verse 28. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The sheep are they who are given eternal life. And eternal life is not just speaking to the length of days but to the quality of the life. To be given eternal life is to possess the righteousness of Christ. It is to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That's John 17, 3. To have eternal life is never ever to come under the power of sin and condemnation. Why? Because these who have eternal life are in Christ and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They have passed from death unto life. To have eternal life is to enter into the rest and blessedness of God, the true Sabbath rest, not the seventh day Adventist Sabbath rest. That's not the Sabbath. And see that eternal life is given and not end. The finite can't end that which is eternal. The finite cannot end that which is infinite. It can't be done. Jesus said, I give eternal life to them. Eternal life has to be given. The sheep do not end and cannot end eternal life. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. You and I are perishable because of sin. Therefore, there's nothing that we can do to end incorruption. Incorruption has to be given. Eternal life has to be given. Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, 6-9. Isaiah 25, 6-9. And this is a picture of eternal life. God here is painting for us and giving us an idea what it means to experience eternal life. This is what it says, verse 6. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. What is the veil that is stretched over all the nations? Verse 8, he will swallow up death for all time. Death is the veil that covers all nations because death is one-to-one. Every man who ever gets born is going to die. It's one-to-one. So that is the veil that covers all nations. But God says he will swallow up death 
for all time. That's in eternity. That's eternal life. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Revelation 21 verse 1 to 7. Revelation 21 verse 1 to 7. Verses 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there is no longer any seeing. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God. Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Let me just make some quick commentary on. And there is no longer any sea. If I remember well. I read somewhere someone commenting on this verse and saying no longer having any sea does not mean that there won't be any water. He's saying there won't be any enemies because the enemies would come through the sea in their boats. So you don't have any more enemies coming through the seas, the unguarded seas. So he's speaking to the peace that the elect of God will have in that time. So he says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain the first things have passed away and he who sits on the throne said behold I am making all things new and he said right for these words are faithful and true then he said to me it is done I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I'll be his God and he will be my son. So that's another picture of what Christ has in store for his people. No more enemies. So the one who overcomes shall inherit these things and the believer is the one who overcomes because they overcame by the blood of Christ. They don't overcome by their running or their effort. They already overcame by the blood of Christ. So the sheep cannot perish. Gods will perish because they have no one to guard them from the wolves. When the wolf attacks, it snatches away the prey. And Jesus says, The sheep are safe, they are secure because he has given his life in place of them. So that whatever has to get to the sheep has to meet with him first. Jesus here again in this last part of our teaching today teaches another doctrine. We have two important doctrines here 
that Jesus is teaching. The first part is the doctrine of election. You don't believe because you are not of my ship. That's election. And now he's going to talk about the security of the ship. And that's the doctrine of eternal security. And unfortunately, it's a doctrine that is denied by the religious world. They hate the doctrine because they think it leads men to be careless. But I don't care what you think. We only care what Jesus says. We care about what Jesus says. So they come up with all kinds of silly notions to say salvation can be lost. Salvation can be lost if you don't do A, B, C, Ds, and usually it's what they tell you to do. (laughs) I will tell you this. Salvation can be lost, and lost only if one saved themselves. Your salvation will be lost if you saved yourself. Salvation will be lost if one believes in a false Jesus and a false gospel of works righteousness. Salvation will be lost if one thinks God saves people because he foresaw that they are good and that they would believe and that he is a gentleman who does not force himself on anyone. Because if God does not do those things, guess what? Salvation is now dependent on you. You have to maintain your salvation. You have to look for Jesus. Salvation will be lost if it is about your running and your effort, your diligence, your giving, your faithfulness. Salvation will be lost if it is by the will and the blood of men. True salvation, true salvation cannot be lost because it happens only by God himself. Why? Because there's none who seeks after God. No, not one. So unless God comes and imposes himself on a sinner, they are not coming. And unless God continues to impose himself on the elect, they will not come. So praise God that salvation cannot be lost because God imposes himself on his people. John 6, 39 to 40. Jesus said, This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose some of them. Is that what the text says? John 6, 39, 40. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose 75% of them. I lose those who are not diligent. I lose those who don't tithe. Those are not the words of the Lord. He says, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. Zero. But raise it up on the last day. So it is the will of God that all that he gave to Christ will not be lost. All, not some, none of them will be lost. And he said he will raise them up on the last day. And that is security of salvation. Jesus is not 
hoping that they will not be lost. He's saying they will not be lost. Verse 40. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Everyone who beholds the son is the person who believes in the son and the gospel that the son preaches. Believing in Christ, faith in Christ is the only legitimate transaction sanctioned by God to give life and no other. And as soon as we get carried away with ourselves, when we start to think that we are good and we begin to think that God is now impressed by us and we begin to think that we are maintaining our own selves in Christ. The truth of the matter is, if there is anything good in us, it is him working in us to will and to do for his good pleasure. He is still the merit behind all the good things that we do so that none would boast in his sight. And when God says, so that no one will boast, he actually means it. And yet, a lot of preachers, a lot of people don't understand what that means. But we need to talk more. We are going to close with this doctrine of eternal security and we need to speak more to it because it's a very important doctrine. It's part of what is the good news of salvation. The gospel is good news because God has forgiven completely and eternally the sins of his people. But not only that, he will keep them eternally secure in Christ. So we can't be true believers and proclaimers of the gospel unless we also believe and talk about the security that this gospel brings. I have lost many of my close relatives and friends, even my own dear mother. I have lost jobs. I have lost money and I am going to lose my health and I'm going to lose more money. And as I creep up in years, (laughs) I'm going to lose a whole lot more things. And just about everything that I am and I have can be lost and is going to be lost. Everything that is anything to do with my name that I lay my hands on and I have laid my hands on is going to be lost. It's guaranteed. And because of that, you can't bring me a gospel that says I am going to lose my salvation also. That is no gospel for me who is going to lose everything else. There are people who are losing and who have lost marriages, life savings. A lot of people who have lost jobs and they can't find jobs and many things precious to them and you can't bring them to a Jesus who cannot keep them. You can't bring them to a Jesus who will lose them because of something that they do. Because you see, 
a lot of negative things have already happened to them. So they are looking for something that is firm and sure and secure. They can't come to a Christ who melts in their hands like ice on a summer day. They can't come to a Jesus who buckles under pressure. They can't come to a Jesus who may just lose them to whatever. They need something firm to hold on to and a righteousness, an everlasting righteousness to stand on. Something that is secure, that can't be lost or taken away because they failed to hold tightly by their own strength. Because they feel that they have no strength. They did not have strength to hold on to their own marriage, which they had with their spouse. But marriage is something that is within the reach of their power. They failed to hold on to something that was within the reach of their own power and power of choice. And so you can't give such a person a gospel that they have to maintain because, see, the gospel is even higher. It's a higher form of marriage with God. And they have no ability. They are failing to maintain that which is within their realm of power, of influence. How are they going to be able to maintain something as precious and higher like salvation? You can't give them a salvation that can be lost when we stumble in sin. But you see, the sinner is in sin because they can't keep themselves out of sin. And that is why they need a gospel of free and sovereign grace. A guilty sinner needs things that cannot be lost. They need free things. If you are a sinner, you need free things. The sinner does not need a retirement account on Wall Street. They don't want their salvation to be invested on Wall Street because Wall Street is known for giving people empty bags. A sinner needs a retirement account that is managed in heaven by Jesus himself. A guilty sinner needs grace and an everlasting righteousness. And praise the Lord who said, verse 28 of John 10, I give eternal life to them. I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Not only are the sheep given eternal life, Jesus says they will never perish. If you are given eternal life, by default, it means you do not and cannot perish, period. Because you are in him who has life in himself, you are in Christ, union with Christ, very important to eternal life. You can't have union with Adam. Adam has no eternal life to himself, so Adam has nothing for you. You want to be in union with this one who has life in himself. His life cannot be taken away from him. And so that means those that are in him, that are under his wings, 
cannot be taken away either. It is like a baby kangaroo in its mother's pouch, safe and secure. That pouch is safe. You have to get to the mother before you get to the baby. But that is some really big pouch. That's some really big mama purse. Just saying. A purse so big you can actually carry your baby in. <laughs> but Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of his hand. Now that is some really powerful hand. See what Jesus did not say. He did not say, no one will snatch them out of my hands. But my hand. Jesus has so accomplished salvation that there is absolutely no one who will and is able to snatch any of his sheep from his hand. No one is able. Salvation is so secure, he only uses one hand to keep it. But if for some reason one is able to do so, if for some reason, if one is able to get to Jesus, Jesus gives another layer of protection and says, John 10, 29 to 30. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Jesus says, there is none able to snatch his sheep from his hand. But even more, the father who gave them to him is also involved in giving security to the ship. He is greater than all. The father, because he is God, is greater than all that may want to snatch and endanger the life of the ship. And because of his greatness, his power, no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand either. And that is a double layer of protection. That is double insulation. Not being able to be snatched out of the hands of the son and not being able to be snatched out of the hand of the father. The father and the son are one and Jesus is saying the father and I have the same power. <laughs> but when Jesus says the father and the son are one that is not saying Jesus is the same person as the father. No, that is saying Jesus and the Father have the same will and purpose as God with regards to the welfare of the sheep. They are united in purpose and in will and in power in all things that are God. They are both committed to preserve the sheep so that none is lost. And this theology, this teaching of eternal security is taught very clearly and plainly by Apostle Paul and will close with that. Romans 8, 31 to 39. Romans 8, 31 to 39, Apostle Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? Yes. <laughs> what then shall we say to all the things that we have heard from Jesus? If God is for us who is against us who can be against us and that's a rhetoric question but this is the reason why god is for us 
And this is the reason why nothing can be against us. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. All these things are happening for the elect. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is there anyone able to separate us, to break us away from the hand of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword are those things able to separate you from the hand of Christ? Just as it is written, verse 36, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. Those things have nothing on the ship. For I am convinced, verse 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is all that saying? That is saying security of salvation. There is no other thing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that is saying salvation cannot be lost. So if there is any preacher who insinuates that salvation can be lost, they are not preaching the gospel of Paul. They are not preaching the gospel of Jesus. Because they, Apostle Paul and Jesus, are saying the ship are so secure, now as they will ever be in eternity. And they are the most secure of all the peoples in this universe. They are kept and defended by God. There is nothing in the visible or invisible world that can mess up your salvation. There's absolutely nothing in the visible and invisible world that can remove you and get you lost. Death cannot separate you from Christ. It only brings you to him. The sheep cannot snatch themselves out of the hand of the son or of the father. The sin of the sheep cannot separate them from Christ. Your sin cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ. It's impossible. Because if your sin right now can do that, guess what? It's greater than the hand of Christ and the hand of the Father. You have to come to that conclusion. But praise the Lord that the hand of the Father and the Son are stronger than my sin. The devil principalities and powers cannot snatch you from Christ. Your will cannot separate you from Christ. Whether it's free or not, it cannot separate you 
from Christ. Your will with regards to salvation is nothing and human free will is nothing with regards to the work of salvation. The work of salvation has nothing to do with human will. It's all about the will of God in Christ. The will of man does not initiate salvation. The will of man does not maintain salvation because we are kept by God. And it does not secure salvation. Salvation was secured by the blood of Christ. And Jesus did not subcontract the preservation of the ship to some company out in China or to any other creature. The security and salvation of the elect is the work of God alone. The salvation and security of the ship was underwritten by the blood of the Son of God. He cannot and will not default on his pledge of our salvation. This is not work that is finished for him by angels. Because you see, Jesus could have said, I have given my elect to the care of the angels. And no one can overcome the angels. Jesus does not say that. He says, this is work that we don't sub- subcontract. God himself takes care of, of his ship. And when it comes to the court setting, there's no one who can come and bring a charge as to condemn you. Why? Because God is he who is the judge. And God has already pronounced a judgment of justification in Christ Jesus. And that can't be reversed. So the sheep are not kept by powerful angels. Christ and the Father are they that see to it that they are kept secure. So what am I saying? I'm saying that when we make salvation about our choices, we end up preaching and believing a different gospel that is no security and serves no one. A gospel that depends on our effort and our running is no gospel. And in an attempt to make something about the sinner, we end up denying the truth of salvation as God has revealed it to us in Christ Jesus. We end up calling many people saved who deny God's testimony of himself and his son and the work that the son accomplished. And to that apostle John will say to us in Second John 1, 9 to 11, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who denies the gospel of Christ as Christ and the apostles have taught it, have no God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him in your house and do not give him a greeting for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Now that's a serious charge. Apostle John is saying the one who does not hold to 
the teaching as Christ has revealed about himself and his finished work. Don't receive them. That's some hard words. This you won't hear in a lot of places. Because they say, just anyone who can spell the name of Jesus is in. <laughs> Doesn't matter what they believe. And we can't do that. We can't do that. The apostles were serious about this gospel. And may the Lord grant us the grace to handle his word and his gospel with fear and reverence for his sake. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the gospel of free and sovereign grace. We thank you for the testimony that you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world and made us his ship and caused us to be able to believe in him. For you have taught us and are still teaching us. And we have been told by the Lord himself that everyone who hears from you and is taught of you comes to Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be taught by him and to hear what the Father teaches, that we may come to Christ. Lord, we pray and we thank you for the security of salvation, the security of the work that Christ accomplished for his people. We pray and thank you to hear that those who are in Christ cannot be lost because they are in his hand and they are also in the hand of the Father who is greater than all. Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful news and we just pray for your people, these who are here again and those who shall listen, that you may give them ears to hear. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.